Okay, welcome into the Degress Podcast, episode 15, Vince Carter, Tim Tebow edition, whichever one you feel like. Uh, a lot to talk about. Juju Smith-Schuster is a chief. Tyreek Hill is a dolphin. NCAA tournament still rocking and rolling. Will Smith decided to smack the hell out of Chris Rock. Uh, and to help break it all down, joining us from a beach in Florida, he's channeling his inner Florida man, Russell the Gator. Uh, yesterday, he told us two. he, uh, oh, two, actually got one of the Gator's arms off and he's getting it taxidermied right now. So he'll have that hanging up in his room. Maybe the next time we uh, podcast together, he'll be able to show it. Uh, Ethan Price. Ethan, welcome in. Thank you, sir. Glad to be back. Yeah, I'm glad you're back, too. And joining us from his parents' house in Mankato, Minnesota. Unfortunately, the winner of the Degress Podcast Bracket Challenge and winner of a free meal from the world-famous Brazilian Steakhouse, Fogo de Chao, courtesy of Ethan and I, Grant Caster. Hey, I heard that. Thanks. Uh, Congratulations, buddy. Yes, thank you, boys. No, uh, yeah, you suck the, the least. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. And uh, the <laughs> early round treated me well, you know, with a couple, uh, couple of upsets there. And, uh, you know, I'm glad on paper I kept Kansas in the final four because that was the cherry on top. I at least had one team out of us three. So uh, uh, let's roll. Let's yeah. So like I said, uh, Grant is also he's decked out in his Chiefs gear. So we have to ask, Jan, Grant, have you how are the TikToks coming along? I know Juju, obviously, joining the team is very uh, active on TikTok. Uh, Patrick Mahomes brother Jackson also very active have you been uh, have you been practicing your Corvette Corvette or any no, of I haven't. the uh, trendy TikToks no I haven't and luckily for me you know I don't have TikTok I just rule on rely on the Instagram reels and Facebook for my source of entertainment but uh, again good thing Jackson's going out to Los Angeles we're getting him the hell out of the Midwest and out of uh, out of Kansas City because we don't want him here if I'm if I'm honest and uh, Juju, he's on a one-year deal, and he knows it's it's not up or shut up, and uh, he's got a he's got to perform this year. So hopefully, he puts the camera down. Uh, Travis gets his knee and and says, "Hey, when I was young and stupid, I needed some guidance, and Andy provided that for me. So hopefully, he can now provide that for Juju, and uh, we'll change his team up and see what happens come August, September." Yeah, and I think him being a number two right behind Kelsey, and I don't think it sounds like the Chiefs are still looking to find another receiver so we'll see what they do there but uh what are your thoughts on the Tyree kill trade obviously uh it was announced last week he was traded to the dolphins for a first second and a fourth for in this year's draft uh, i think everybody initially was very not happy about it but i think long term i think it's going to benefit the chiefs they're going to try to get back to andy reed's regular style when he was in philly go a little bit more under center and it hasn't worked a lot in his coaching tenure, but I think he kind of realized that they need to get back to being more committed to the run game. Is that what your initial thoughts are as well? Or do you have a. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they were similar. It might differ a little bit, but I'm not going to lie. Last Wednesday when it was announced, I, I was starstruck. I, I was sitting back. I was not in a good mood at work. Everyone else was giving me a hard time. You know, Hey, the dynasty that could have been is now over. The chiefs are done. Everyone's talking crap. Hey, get ready for fourth place in the AFC West. And uh, I wasn't having it then. But I had some time to kind of cool off a little bit and rethink this team. 
um, realizing they still have the best coach in the division, still have the best quarterback. So they're going to be just fine. And you're right, Dylan. I think they're going to change it up a little bit. Um, I think they're going to be, like you said, a little more committed to the running game. I'm not sure if they're going to go under center as much as you say, just because that's maybe not who Patrick is. And going back to his days at Texas Tech in high school, he was always in the shotgun. But, you know, go back to that first half against Cincinnati. They were running the ball and they were been physical at the line of scrimmage. With the two rookies, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith at center and right guard, you signed Joe Tooney last year, franchise tag Orlando Brown. They just need, and if Niang can stay healthy at right tackle, they have a better offensive line, so they'll be able to dominate people and move and slow the game down in that aspect. You know, this Chiefs offense, no one's going to want to hear this. It's going to look like the first couple of years with Andy. More Alex Smith, you know, Travis across the middle. Juju on those in-breaking routes. And then it'll be fun to maybe see Marquez Valdez-Scandling as the year progresses, once him and Patrick get a little more comfortable. And if the Chiefs can run the ball, and you got to stop Travis uh, from those underneath routes, that soon that cover two is going to become cover one, and then he can take the top off the defense. So I was a little upset last Wednesday, but as the weekend stuff goes on, I've realized, you know, this team's still going to be good, still the best quarterback, best head coach in the division. It might take them a while to uh, get this new identity down, but they'll be, they'll be just fine. Yeah. And I guess, well, it works out good for me. I feel a lot better now because I decided to bet my boss that if the chiefs win the super bowl, I'm going to get cornrows. So I like my chances this year that I don't have to get cornrows and we won't make a bet uh, the next years. But so I feel good with that. They also announced yesterday that they are changing the overtime rules to where each team gets a possession. And then after that, it's sudden death. Uh, I'm curious to see how long this lasts. This almost feels like I, for me, it could be a one-time thing like the uh, challenging pass interference rule where, because a lot of the anger frustration for this coming out felt like it was after that chiefs bills game. But if they're just doing sudden death, after they scored, the Chiefs would have went. Bills would have went down and scored. Chiefs would have went down and scored. I don't, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. I, I mean, there's 60 minutes to win a game. There's plenty of chances. There's so many other things that happen in the game, and I, I, I'm not a fan of it. I guess we'll see what happens. It obviously gives the offense a chance, but it, I mean, the offense is on. Isn't there's three phases of the game: offense, defense, special teams. And at some point, if you stop them, you get the ball. That's as easy, simple as it gets. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Ethan, I'll let you go first. You've kind of been. Um, I don't mind it. I know I was pretty pretty adamant about changing it. I like it. Um, how often is it going to come into play? I have no idea. Um, when was the last time it actually happened was, what, Broncos and Steelers with Tim Tebow? Well, I mean, that's, that's actually, the time I remember. You know, in terms of playoffs. It was in the playoffs, you know, Patriots Super Bowl against the Falcons. Matt Ryan never touched the ball. And then also oh, yeah. Chiefs-Patriots and uh, the a- AFC title game, Mahomes didn't get it. Um, so those are those are really the only big ones for that, um, you know, rule change there. Yeah, I like it. I don't mind it. Um, it probably would have kept going on. I don't think any team was going to make a stop in that one. But I think give each team a chance. I mean, if you stop them, you stop them. That's great. If not, it's just more football. I mean, I don't – safety perspective, I mean, you can say it's a longer game, but – they play long games anyway. So at the end of the day, does 15 minutes really make that big of a difference? I have no idea, but uh, I'm just looking forward to it. It's more football. Grant. 
And yeah, my, you know, I guess my big thing is, is I'm, I don't really didn't care if they changed it. If they did change it, it's great. I was on the fence because, you know, being, being a Chiefs fan, uh, was I upset in 2019 in January that Mahomes didn't get the ball? Yeah, damn straight I was, but they also had three opportunities to stop the Patriots and they didn't do it. Um, you know, and then the chief, the bills had a lead with 15, what, 13 seconds left and they let your chiefs go down and score. But make your point Dylan, where it's going to go back and forth. I disagree with that because I think if, especially for a road team, if they get the ball second and they score, I think you're going to see a lot of teams do the college style and just go for two. Yeah, that's, that, that I, is true. Cause, cause I, I was more so referring to that chiefs bills game this in the oh, divisional yeah. round where it was <laughs> just, and sometimes it will, but I mean, not every game is going to be like that. Correct. But like when you get those two high-powered offenses, they could go back and forth just the way that offense is flowing. Yeah, really. The only way you're going to stop them is if you have a, a strip sack or an interception because, let's be honest, no defense was going to get a stop in that game. No. You know, toward, yeah. towards the end, it was just going to be a, it was going to be a track meet. But I, I think you just might see some more teams maybe, um, you know, going for two and saying, you know what? Like I said, especially if you're the road team, let's get out of here. Let's go home and let's not risk some freaky injury from happening for playing another series. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Uh, like we said, NCAA tournament off and running. Final four games start on Saturday afternoon. Going to be uh, all four blue blood, four of the big blue bloods made it, which is going to make for great TV and we'll start, we'll just recap the uh, sweet 16 elite eight games and then uh, finish off with our preview of what we think is going to happen uh, this weekend and Monday. So we'll start uh, Michigan Villanova first game on Thursday, Michigan lost 63 55 Michigan just didn't want to make layups. They went 12 of 29 or no, it was like 14 to 29 on free throws and dunk or dunks and layups. And then they shot, seven of 14 from the free throw line just had a lid on the basket. And when you against a good team like Villanova, you're not going to, you can't expect to win when you shoot the way they did. And anytime, and it's been a theme, it was a theme in the uh, first opening weekend and continued through where Villanova, nothing faces them. They just keep going. They take a punch. They'll take, they basically rope a dope teams where it's, you know, they'll, they'll let them jab, jab, jab. And then when they have to, Colin Gillespie, it seems like, just likes to land the knockout punch, go full Rocky and yeah, end team season. It was, that's exactly how that game felt. I, I, I ask you guys. I feel like I undervalue Villanova every year. They're just like the epitome of like an actual team, like in terms of defense, offense, transition, they can do it all. But I always just, I never pick them. I don't know. I picked them the one year they won, but other than that, I mean, they just consistently put these teams in the elite eights and final fours and yet no one ever talks about them. I I feel like, I feel like we forget about Villanova. The fact that, you know, they're in the big East, but it's not the big East anymore. There's, there's not, there's not a whole lot of competition. Uh, And we just, they're kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say this boring school, but there's, there's really no controversy. They're never, never, never in the NCAA spotlight. Jay Wright just wants to coach basketball and not, not worry about anything else. Um, so I think we just kind of forget about Villanova because they're so consistent and steady. But I think, you know, for, for Michigan and Dylan, this was just kind of the tail of their season. Great first weekend, 
you beat Colorado State, you come in, you surprise a lot of people and score 176 against Tennessee. You had some super highs. And then you come into the second weekend and, you know, you have these super lows where you can't put the ball in the basket. So it's just kind of a tail of their season where it's just that ultimate roller coaster ride. You sit back and say, what, what could have been for this basketball team? Yeah, for sure. I think about it. I mean, they come in top five and then just up and down and just couldn't quite get that consistency. Interesting to see what they do right now. It's only Devonte Jones leaving. So I hope Dickinson comes back. He personally, I think with name and image and likeness, it gives him an incentive to stay because he, he he's going to wait, make a lot more money in college and under NIL deals than he would in a two-way contract, but we'll keep moving. Uh, the other game that was going on at the same time, it was Gonzaga, Arkansas. Uh, Ethan and I had Gonzaga winning it all. Grant had him in the championship, losing to the Vols. And Arkansas was pulled the upset, 74-68. Arkansas was kind of in control most of the game. They did a good job in the first half of keeping Holmgren locked up. Uh, he ended up – he had, had the, gotten into some foul trouble, wasn't able to play. And then, like we said in the – Michigan Villanova game. Anytime Gonzaga got close, Villain or Arkansas just seemed to hit a big shot and just kill their momentum and just hit big shots when they had to. And that was kind of the story of the game. It's just Mark Few still is looking for that first national title. And I'm starting to think I I have to make a note, and we might have to just clip this and just remind it when I'm filling out my bracket next year is don't ever bet on these unproven coaches, whether it's Mark Few, Rick Barnes, any of these coaches that just seem to blow it in March. Just yep. don't, don't just on paper. Yes, they look great. But when it comes to grit and there's just something that they they seem to be missing. And I'm going to make sure I remember that filling out future brackets. So what are you guys' thoughts on this game? I didn't watch this game, but Arkansas has been impressive the entire tournament. Um, I can't remember who the heck did they beat before this game. I remember now, but uh, Mexico State, they from two different completely games. I mean, 53 points versus uh, Arkansas, New Mexico State. Then you score 74 on Gonzaga. Just It's just the type of games they can play. They can muddy it up. They can play the defense and everything, but then they can also score with the best of them too. And actually their defense is – Unbelievable. I think we talked about that last podcast, but they might be the best defensive team in the tournament as of the elite eight. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think, I think Arkansas, they one thing I saw right away from watching this game, they had so much more athletes than Gonzaga, you know, their, their foot speed, they're able the tenacity on defense to, to stay in front of their defender and not get, blown by by Gonzaga and again that's showed now two years in a row for Gonzaga last year when they lost in the title game and they got whooped up by the Baylor Bears Baylor had a lot more athletic guard play um, than Gonzaga and and it showed and I also think for Gonzaga um, again you know maybe this is wrong to say but the fact that they play in a weak conference they're always you know beating up these teams St. Mary's gives them a tough game every once in a while they're not battle tested and when they get down they don't know how to come back because they're not playing in the SEC. They're not playing in the big 10 or the ACC. Um, so then, they, like I said, they're just, they're not battle tested and they don't know how to respond because they're used to beating breaks off teams and winning by 10 points, 10 plus points every single game. And I also, I, I don't think Gonzaga was ready for the physicality and the lateral quickness Arkansas's defense has because 
And Coach K talked about it before they played him in the Elite Eight, that they have some of the best lateral quickness you're going to see in the tournament. And they do. And it was a physical game. And mm-hmm. there's there was discussion about the officiating. And I think Arkansas just kind of said, oh, if the refs are going to let him play. Or I think Arkansas adjusted a little better to the tight game that it was called. And Gonzaga didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll keep moving on here to the uh, other game game in uh, uh, regional semifinal here in the West region between Duke and Texas Tech. And that this was a fun game to watch. It was back and forth. It was fast-paced. Uh, Panchero really carried Texas or uh, Duke, I thought, in that first half, kind of keeping it close. And But I just – I think in the end, to, for me, I think the Duke just was able to keep up at the pace they wanted to play – and I think Tech, Texas Tech just kind of ran out of gas. I, Texas Tech was never never able to slow the game down. They just kind of kept playing that fast-paced style that Duke likes to play, and it didn't fit out in. And at the end, Roach had a huge second half, and it's been a theme since in the tournament is when Duke's gone to that 2-3 zone, they just it just freezes the teams they're playing. And that, that proved once they went to a 2-3, Texas Tech seemed confused. They didn't know what to do, and they were able to move on. I don't think it was even talked enough about how well Duke played at the end of that game. I, th- I want to say they finished 8 for 8 from the field or 9 for 9. Roach yeah. was just a freak in the last three minutes of that game. Absolutely just took it over because, I mean, Texas Tech hit the three to go up, I think, one or two. Then Roach comes right back and drills it. It's just like it's just back and forth, and from there it's going to be basically over. But – Good, two good teams, Texas Tech. Just yeah, you, they couldn't couldn't do the transition with them, couldn't stay up with them, their tempo, and just Duke kind of prevailed after. Duke's after talent carried there. them over over the top, yeah. I think. And then also, you know, Williams took over in the second half too to start. Yep. And then you know, Duke kept making Texas Tech take the ball from underneath the basket after all you know his high percentage shots they were taking, and then Duke kind of clamped down defensively. When you know that's the one thing with Tech, you know, they're a good defensive team. They're going to get after you there, but they don't have much offense. And if you're going to get into a game where you need to score 70 plus, I don't, I don't like their chances. No. And especially for a team like tech, they needed a guy. They don't have that. They're really good team ball, but they didn't have the guy that can, they, when you need a bucket, you go to him. They don't have that. And (laughs) I think for a team like tech to pull an upset, you need one of those guys that can just get a bucket when you need one and they didn't have it. And, Duke moved on to the Elite Eight, and the Coach K farewell tour lived on, unfortunately, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, the other game, final game of the thir- of Thursday slate was Arizona-Houston out in the south region, game played in San Antonio. I actually had the under on this game at 146.5, and it hit Houston. It, it felt a lot like that Illinois game where Houston just controlled it from the opening tip. Anytime Arizona got close, they Houston would answer, and uh, Houston just bullied them. Like that—that's exact the only way I think yeah. you can describe it. It was just bully ball. They did a good job of limiting uh, Benedict Mather into four of fourteen shooting. He did with end up with fifteen points, but if you can limit him to that shooting, uh, Coloco he had ten points. He scored. He was the one that had a big game against TCU, scoring twenty-eight, and then Kirk Kreisa uh, came back and. He, he was one of seven from the field and won three points. So 
that Houston, I don't, I don't think Arizona was ready for the physical game that Houston presented. And it's just an incredible coaching job by Kelvin Sampson to get them back to the elite eight. Yeah. Just looking at the stats. I mean, it's not even like everything's the same total turnovers, two off rebounds, two off free throws, both 17 made. It's just three pointers were huge. Nine, 45% for Houston, 31% for Arizona. Just the shooting overall, Houston just forced them into tough shots throughout the whole game. And even out Arizona just gets in their head and they miss shots. They usually made, especially Mather. And he was just not nearly the same player. He was the first three games, but uh, yeah, just they, their defense just carried them to that win again, just grinding consistently on them and Arizona couldn't handle the pressure. You know, also, I think to piggyback on Dylan's point from earlier, where, hey, I'm not going to trust Mark Few. I'm not going to trust Rick Barnes, even, you know, Fran McCaffrey, who hasn't been out of the first round his whole career. I let you have that one, Grant. Um, <laughs> you know, they decided to win the Big Ten tourney and um, their legs were tired and they blew it. But um, <laughs> eh, I wasn't able to watch that game. You know, I was doing a little cross country road trip and Iowa basketball doesn't mean to me what Iowa football does. So that one didn't sting at all. But back to my point earlier, sorry to get sidetracked. Uh, when you don't trust coaches, we shouldn't trust Arizona as a team. No. With all the elite no. talent and elite teams that Sean Miller has had before he got canned and, you know, all the Arizona teams before that for them to be a blue blood, why was their last Final Four like in 2001? Yeah. You know, I, I think that's just a program we can't trust because they don't have that winning culture or they don't have the it factor. Um with them and, you know, Houston made a final four last year. They were a final four team. Calvin Sampson's one of the better coaches in America. So I think it was one of those where we just got caught up with Arizona being 31 and three. And even though they played, even though they had that good record, the PAC 12 was bad this year. And, you know, I think we just learned a lesson. We shouldn't trust Arizona because this they're just, they're not a bunch. They're not winners. Yeah. It's yeah, that's another one too. They, like you said, I, I agree. I kind of, those were the ones I could think of off the top of my head, but yeah, Arizona, just as a program, you just can't trust them. And uh, we'll move on to the Friday slate of games. First one was Cinderella story. St. Peter's Purdue St. Peter's just, they kept it close. Purdue. It was a back and forth game and Purdue just turned the too many turnovers at the end of the day. St. Peter's just plays great team basketball. Nobody cares about the staff. They just want to win. They play great defense. It was back and forth. They made it close. And similar to that Kentucky game, Purdue tensed up. Jaden Ivey just disappeared. He was 4-12 from the field, only nine points. And it was like I said, it was a back and forth game. Nobody led by more than six. And in the end, I think great team basketball. And we can also add to the list of coaches you don't trust in March is Matt Painter, who's been just there so close, just cannot seem to get breakthrough. And St. Peter's, the Cinderella story, the slipper still fits. They move on to the Elite Eight, 67-64. Those are kind of my thoughts. What are your guys's? Grant, you can go first if you want on this one. I think, I think for me, the big thing I didn't understand is Purdue. They had the advantage height-wise. Height how they, why they only put one of their big guys on the court uh, through the whole game. That just didn't make sense. You know, I, I get it the, throughout the whole year. That's how Painter did it. But when you have the, the height advantage over St. Peter like that, just put your 
put your two like seven footers out there and then just dominate, just dominate this game and don't give St. Peter life. You know, when you're an underdog or a Cinderella like that, if you give these teams life, they're going to take with it. They're going to take it and run with it. And they, they Purdue just didn't take advantage of that. And uh, you know, that's why they lost in the sweet 16 again. And again, another top five preseason big 10 team that couldn't do anything in the tournament. And, and it was also too, without one of St. Peter's, big men uh in Nadefo who was in foul trouble most of the game too so yeah. there, there's really no excuse and when when Purdue was able to go or when they went inside they had success and they just I think yeah. sometimes I think a- Ivy tried to force it a little bit too much and it ended up biting them yeah to pick up like going in going inside from you guys what you said like Edie and Williams are both combined 12 or 22 from the field for 27 points. They shot 21 threes. Like, like, what are you doing? Like going inside was working. It, it gets you the open look so that you can actually get these shots where you're just, where Ivy's forcing it. Stefanovic is forcing it. Like all these guys are out there just chucking these threes up that are basically prayers at that point. It's like work from the inside out. And I don't understand why they didn't do it more. And, and, and you look at these teams that are in the final four. I think, I guess I thought about this over the weekend for me, Going, getting the ball inside, getting those post touches is a lot like running the football. You might not have success right away, but eventually if you stick with it, you keep getting it, guys are going to sink down. It's going to open up more for you. It's just one mm-hmm. of those things that if it's just, it's, it's not, it's not fun. It's not exciting, but when you're able to do that and when it gets into crunch time and push comes to shove and legs get tired, you know, brains aren't working as much because you're just exhausted getting the ball inside. It's a lot easier to make a layup than it is to make a three. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, to, you know, to your point, Dylan, sure. Three is more than two, but if you're hitting 15 to 20% more from the two, those points are going to add up so much more and you're yep. going to win most of the games you play. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, we'll keep moving here. Kansas Providence that this was a, uh, game that Kansas kind of controlled, uh, had a, got out to a hot start leading at halftime. And I want to say they were up by a, eight to 12 points. I can't remember exactly, but Providence, like they've done all year, they've battled back. You know, they took a lead briefly. And then uh, Kansas, just after that, that lead, Bill Self called a timeout, got him regrouped. Uh, Jalen Wilson talked about it. He said he kind of saw him celebrating and feeling, feeling themselves a little bit. And then they just decided, no, enough is enough. And Kansas just kind of flexed their talent. Uh, and uh, Jalen Wilson came had, like I said, 16 and 11. Uh, Remy Martin had a huge game. He shook off a rough opening weekend, and he scored 23. And he really stepped up in uh, place for the uh, Big 12 Player of the Year. Uh, and I'm going to butcher his name, but Ochai Agabaji. They probably did a good job at limiting him to only five. And yeah, because, you know, normally this this is a game where – um, and in tournaments past that Kansas would lose, you know, they, they get that lead, they kind of get comfortable. And then I don't know where Providence slowly creeps and climbs their way back. And, you know, they did in the second half and Kansas almost did what, like, like I said, what they do, they almost blew it. But I think, you know, Kansas, they had a moment where they said, Nope, we're the better team. We've been a top five team all year. This it's our time. We're going to put this game away because we just have the better players. And they took advantage of that. 
Well, the scary thing about Kansas is Abaji hasn't even played well, and they're in the Final Four. Like, that yeah. should just tell you everything you need to know about them. Like, he's been – he's I think he had one double-digit game where he actually, like, shot it decent, didn't have to take a ton of attempts to get to that double digits. But if he can get going in the Final Four, I mean, massive for them. But, yeah, they – I didn't watch a lot of the game, but they saw Kansas get up early, and I figured they would coast. But, no, Providence did – did make a run at them, but obviously didn't didn't prevail to anything. So, uh, yeah, I think Kansas is going to be dangerous if Abaji gets going on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Saturday. Saturday, sorry. I thought it was Friday. <laughs> That's my bad. Uh, yeah, and then moving on to the uh, East region, UNC, UCLA. And UCLA was in control for most of the game. They were up, it seemed like, by four to eight points. And then the Caleb Love show took over. 30 points just – Got hot, could not miss. Baycott played big, scoring for 14. Brady Manick uh, ha- continuing his successful tournament uh, with 13. And UCLA is going to end up a, a couple games short of the Final Four. That was one of my that was my last Final Four team I had in and ended up losing. And UNC was able to get a win, 73-66. Yeah, yeah you, you said Caleb Love Show. Like, holy cow, he just took over in that second half. Pair that with 15 offensive rebounds. And how many feel like second chance looks Caleb Love or Brady Manick got out of those offensive rebounds was just insane in the second half. And that really just turned the game for him with probably about eight minutes left where they started to really take control. Because, yeah, because I feel, you know, March is a time where always the team with better guard play is going to, you know, win this game. And then, you know, like you said, it was just, it was the Caleb Love show. I, I think, you know, what did Carolina have like 40 points in the second half? And he had, was it like 28 or 30 of them? Um, Probably around there, yeah. Yeah, the, he was just white hot. The dude, the dude he couldn't miss. And when he started scoring, you know, it gave some confidence to uh, Carolina as a team. And, you know, sure, this team, these players, they haven't, um, you know, they haven't um, sniffed much success in the, uh, the tournament in the postseason. But I think coming from Carolina, having Hubert Davis on the sideline there for their title run in 17, they had that confidence to them and uh, you know, it just took over and, you know, cause they got a lot of adults in that room and they weren't afraid to play in a tight game uh, and it, you know, helped them prevail towards, uh, towards the end to get to, to that elite eight. Yeah. And then uh, going on to the nightcap of the uh, Friday night, end of the sweet 16 uh, Miami, uh, Iowa State, I had Miami two and a half. I was able to hit that. I also hit the Providence covering seven and a half. So I was two and zero oh on Friday, three and zero oh going into the in my uh, bets for the Sweet Sixteen. Miami led most of the way. It wasn't a, it was an okay game. It was uh, I I Iowa State tried to make it interesting a little bit, but then uh, Miami's defense showed up. They they did a good job of challenging shots, limiting them, limiting them to thirty three percent from the field. They forced eleven steals. And uh, Cam McGusty was kind of the star of the night, scoring 27, and uh, Wardenburg hit some big shots, and that was enough to get Miami to their first ever in program history uh, Elite Eight berth. No, everything I, we said earlier. Oh, Grant, you can go first this time. Totally. Fine. I was going to say, I just I think this was the time when Iowa State's lack of offense was going to show up, and yep. they just they couldn't match up with Miami on the athletic front, and. Uh, you know, it, like I said, it just it just kind of caught up to them. They had a nice run in March, um, but it just you know it wasn't it wasn't enough. But look at how far this program came in the last year from winning two games 
the year before, new coach. You start the year off undefeated, and then Big 12 play is kind of, you know, rocky, rocky for them. But to get to the Sweet 16, you know, people at Iowa State, they got to feel good about themselves. And, um, you know, just it just wasn't their time because they didn't have the horses to match up, you know, with Miami athletically. Yeah, no, like you said, they're at lack of offense. 422 from three. Like, they have no real inside presence whatsoever. It was just – they couldn't get open shots. Miami was too athletic defensively. They contested everything. And when Gabe Kausher is probably your best offensive player on the night, it's probably not going to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that just didn't – was not a good matchup for Iowa State. No, and uh, we'll transition over to the Elite Eight games. First one of the day was Houston-Villanova. Villanova was a three-point dog. I had them covering – uh, ended up final score being 50-44. Villanova, they did a really good job of keeping Houston off the bo- offensive boards, getting bodies on guys. And that's actually what got Houston back into the game where they were able to, in the second half, get, get some offensive rebounds, get some good shots. And But in the end, like we've been saying, is that Villanova just – they just – nothing faces them. They just keep finding ways – they feel momentum creeping back in. They just go hits big shots. Uh, Gillespie didn't, he struggled a bit, quite a bit. He only, I think he only had like five points, but he hit the big shot that sealed it. Uh, Jermaine Samuels had 16 and 10. And then Caleb Daniels stepped up huge off the bench uh, with 14 points. Obviously it comes at a cost. Uh, sucks for Justin Moore. Lose uh, season's over due to a torn Achilles. We hope he has a, speedy recovery but Villanova finds a way to move on to the final four and the Jay Wright uh, fortune 500 company moves on it's funny you bring up how they limited their offensive rebounds yet they still had 15 which seems like a pretty darn good job by Villanova I, I <laughs> and, well like like I said in the first half that's that's exactly what they did I I, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if like 13 of those offensive rebounds came in the second half yeah just crazy what they Houston made one three all game. Like that's just what, that's what shot them in the foot. They just couldn't get the offense they had going in the first couple of games, especially versus the Arizona where they shot 45%. So Villanova, give them credit for their defense, but just two extremely good defensive teams. Neither one team, neither team shot over 30% from the field. Yeah. This, that, I mean, this, that had to be kind of just one of those ugly, you know, kind of, kind of boring games to watch. I wasn't able to to catch this because I was actually at the uh, the wild game on Saturday. You got to see some fireworks in that game though. Yeah, I got to see some fireworks in that game. It was fun to, uh, you know, be back in the X, uh, you know, in in a full house um, and and see that. But just from kind of following this game on my phone, you know, Houston Houston just, they like these guys said, they just, they couldn't score. And, um, you know, Usually, if they even though they can't score, they're going to play such good defense. Except when you run into a team like Villanova, who can match them. And then Jay, you know, Jay Wright's just a better coach, and you know, coaching matters in March. But you're right; it is kind of sad it came at a loss for, you know, Villanova because now you wonder how far they can go in this weekend without one of their best players. Yeah, for sure. And uh, move on to the second game of Saturday night: Duke, Arkansas. I had Arkansas covering plus four. Did not happen. Was hoping it was going to be the farewell tour. Coach K was done. But at the end of the day, Duke had a late surge at the end of the first half. Big three to end it by Trevor Keels to take a go up by 12, 45, 33. Arkansas made a run. They got it to within five. 
and Coach K pulls some Matt Rabbit out of his hat, calls a timeout, regroups them. They come out, out in that 2-3 zone, and it just froze the Arkansas offense, and Duke coasted after, and uh, they were led by Banchero with 16. Mark Williams had a big game. He had 12-12, and 12 and that was uh, Coach K goes on to his first Final Four in New Orleans. I didn't yeah, get to watch this one, so I don't know a whole lot about it. But, I mean, I am disappointed the Coach K farewell tour is still going. But uh, I do hope North Carolina takes them out here this weekend. That would be that'd be exciting. But, yeah, it seems like Arkansas's little magic run uh, just came to an end with that 3-2 zone you mentioned. And, yeah, going, going into the game, I just I had a hunch that Arkansas wasn't going to be able to, uh, you know, compete with Duke just uh, on a pure talent level you just you can't match up with them with you know the way Duke's recruited these last couple of seasons and then also uh you know Arkansas putting up the 70 points against Gonzaga you kind of feel like they couldn't do that two um two games in a row against two of the you know favorite teams in this tournament and uh you know just kind of luck of the draw for Duke to get in the final four and uh to have coach K maybe have one last magical run but you know you had to think going into that they were going to beat Arkansas and it wasn't going to be too close yeah, for sure. And uh, moving on to the can- first game on Sunday, Kansas-Miami. And I had Miami plus five and a half. I thought they were actually going to win. But, and looking at the end of the first half, I was feeling pretty good. Uh, Miami was up 35-29 at halftime. And then they got their ass kicked. Kansas just yep. absolutely blew the doors off them and ended up winning 76-50. Probably their best game of the tournament. Probably... Definitely the best uh, half of the tournament. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Abaji had probably his best game of the tournament as well. Yeah, and 18, 8 for 12. Yep, and that's really all there is for that, that, that to say for that that first game Sunday. Yep. I think yeah, you, you know, don't see many teams that scored by 22 in one half in nope. <laughs> the Elite Eight. No, Kansas just decided that, um, you know, we're going to regroup at the end of the first half. And we are we should be so much better than these guys, and they, they just took it to them. You know, when, when you hold an opponent to 15 points and a half, um, I don't care if Miami's not making any shots. you got to give credit where credit is due. And yeah. Kansas, they, they put the clamps down. And, and with that half right there, I think that they kind of sent a message to the rest of this Final Four field, like, hey, this isn't your normal Kansas team who's going to falter towards here. We're not going to back down to anybody. And they're going to they're gonna come into New Orleans with a mission. And that's to win another national title. Yep. Yeah. And uh, same, similar to the same story in the uh, second game on Sunday, uh, North Carolina, St. Peter's, St. Peter's magical run ended. And this game looked like a two for two versus 15 game. That's really, that's kind of the only way Carolina jumped on them early. They just, St. Peter's was never able to recover. Baycott had like 15 rebounds in the first 10 minutes of the game. And that was where, Carolina, vintage Carolina, they always seem to have size. They just use that size to their advantage and took care of business. Basically did what Purdue failed to do is just take advantage of that size, hammer it inside, and just run them over, essentially. Purdue or Kentucky, yeah. And, you know, St. Peter finally met a team who could, who matched up with them athletically and took advantage of that. You know, Carolina, they didn't let St. Peter get, get any of the looks they want. St. Peter tried to take a lot of threes to start that game. They were missing it. Carolina was driving inside, getting those easy twos. 
And then you saw once they were building that lead up, the hammer and the paint, people are vacuuming, vacuuming in on that. And then they kick it out and they hit the three ball and it was over. And, you know, that's probably how that game should have went just because you look at the roster of the recruits that, you know, Carolina has and St. Peter doesn't belong where they were at. So Carolina dominated and, um, you know, but this is, I think this is why we love this tournament. You have a fun, great, awesome first weekend, but by the end of the second weekend, you got the blue bloods, you got the horses in the final four and you truly have four of the better teams in the country, which is, which is what we all want. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, Going on to the final four in New Orleans, the first matchup of the game is Kansas Villanova. That game is scheduled to tip off at 409 Mountain, 509 Central. And uh, Kansas is four and a half point favorites. The over-under is 133. It's a rematch of the 2018 final four game down in San Antonio. Uh, both really balanced teams. Obviously, the Justin Moore loss is really going to hurt Villanova. They're going to miss him. They aren't a very deep team. Uh it's going to be a, I, I expect this to be a low scoring game one because both teams are really good defensively. And also because the game is going to be played in the Caesar Superdome where it, the backdrops bigger, that's going to affect, it's going to be interesting to see how the players react to it. Both. It seems like that first night, they all seem to be a little bit off kilter. It just kind of that long backdrop shooting wise just seems to throw, throw them off. So I think it's going to be a low scoring game. And I, in the end, I'm, I'm going to go. I, my prediction is, is I think it comes down to coaching. I like Jay Wright a little bit more than I like Bill Self. I think the Justin Moore loss hurts, but I expect Gillespie. He's going to hit some shots that hit uh, seal it. I think Villanova covers and they win. I like them outright to win 64 59. What say you guys? Okay. I'll, uh, I'll do both of them in here because I got to get going. Uh, mother's pushing me. We got to go to the beach. But uh, okay. I'm taking Kansas. Abaji's getting getting going now. Um, and they're just playing playing some pretty damn good basketball right now. And then I'll take uh, North Carolina. I think they're playing the best in the tournament uh, right now. I think they are by far and away kind of playing the best. So far, the schedule, their schedule's been a gauntlet outside of St. Peter's. But they've been uh, – they've been – Super impressive. So I'll take uh, Kansas over North Carolina in the national championship then on Monday night. Okay. Little Roy Williams Royale, if you will. Yeah, literally. See who he gets to, who's going to cheer for. I I think that's an easy one for him. Probably North Carolina at this point. (laughs) But uh, I will catch you guys next week. And I'm sure I'll send you some great photos from the beach because everyone loves the beach. Yeah, enjoy the beach. It's cold here. I'll let you know if I catch a shark. Yeah, just go before i will smith you hey just okay, just yeah. know ethan yeah. when you come back it's going to be 34 cloudy and there's no leaves on the trees so enjoy the palm trees well, actually, it's, it's okay it's like actually it. gonna be almost 50 when i fly in saturday so we have good beer. he brought some warm weather back for you look at that yep. what a guy don't let him feed into his ego more than it is his ego is already <laughs> big, big enough it's already, I'm, I'm better than you but this just proves it once again oh uh, yeah okay just go enjoy the beach <laughs> see you guys thanks ethan All right, so uh, thanks again um, for Ethan to joining us. So Grant, now, uh, what uh, what's your uh, Kansas Villanova prediction? Again, I I'm going to roll with the Jayhawks, um, just because you know, kind of dig back on what Ethan was saying. Um, they're they're just playing real hot right now. 
and um, you know they got the national player of the year candidate and he's he's you know he's coming on in the second half and I think I think the loss for Villanova um, for one of their best players is going to be too much too much to handle because with this game since it's going to be so tight and so competitive you're going to need every single point that you can get I just think Kansas is going to be able to manufacture that a little more and again, like I said I, I think after that second half against Miami Kansas is on a mission where they feel this is their opportunity to seize the moment and they're going to they're going to take advantage of that and they're going to be able to get a couple of more baskets um, when they need them than, uh, than, than Villanova will. And it might be one of those where it's going to be tight and back and forth and every team will be out of their timeouts and it's just going to come down to a player making a play and Kansas is going to do that. Okay. Yeah. So it's similar to me. We just have different results. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to be excited to enjoy some good basketball and uh, going on to the nightcap. Uh, Ethan said he likes Carolina in this one. Uh, it's UNC Duke. First matchup, I bet you you didn't know this, Grant, because I don't think it's been talked about yet, but this is the first time these two storied programs have played each other in the NCAA tournament. It's the first time Coach K is going to be coaching a game in New Orleans. I think in a, he had a stretch where he made it seven out of nine years, and the two years they he didn't make it were both, game, uh, both were uh, played in New Orleans. So his first time coaching in the Superdome, uh, the farewell tour is still going strong. Duke is a four-point favorite. It's uh, the total for the game is one fifty-one, a little bit more, a little bit higher scoring than the uh, Kansas Villanova game. And I think Duke is going to be trying to avenge, obviously, the uh, last time they played, and. Carolina's got to keep hitting shots. They got to keep finding ways to hit shots when they have to. Uh, they've been shooting as hot as anybody. Both teams have been playing really great basketball. Mm-hmm. You could maybe argue probably the two best in the tournament right now, which you could make an argument for all four here. But the, I think at some point, no matter what the game's going, if Duke's ahead, Carolina's going to make a run, or if Carolina's up. At some point, Duke's going to go to that 2-3 zone that's benefited them so much in this tournament. It's going to be how they handle it and come down to who's going to hit more shots. Uh, Both teams have proven that they can hit shots when they have to in crunch time. But in the end, Duke's playing for Coach K. They want want that fairy tale ending. I think in the end, I think Duke hits a few more shots. I like Duke to win Mm 78-71. I hate saying it. Actually, no, I love saying it because I'm I'm a closet Duke fan. I have a bunch of like in my uh, in the rest of my uh, studio. I have just a bunch of Duke Coach K pictures. Just huge Duke guy. Like I, I just the best guy ever. Like I, I would love nothing more than to see a storybook ending. We're gonna go right past that because that was the biggest little <laughs> shit I've ever heard in my life. Um. Uh, that well, that was a bad take at the end there, but uh, hopefully your reverse psychology works. Um, but this is no, it's gonna be a fun game because, like you said, Jeremy Roach, he's kind of been the straw that's been stirring this Duke drink in the tournament when he's been getting hot in games. That's when Duke has um, came back and won. Look at the Michigan State game; he had a huge second half. He really propelled them, and then the second half, like you said, Jeremy Roach, he had a huge half, and then Williams was been a he Roach. Was playing. He has been a roach to other opponents, and uh, I'm sure Duke would want to. They're going to need that if they want to win again this weekend because, um, you know, Carolina, they're having some of the better guard play 
in this tournament, not combined, but by individuals. You know, we came one day, it's, you know, last time Carolina and Duke played, it was the RJ Davis show. And then, you know, the Caleb Love show in the second half against UCLA. So Carolina is going to need both their guards to come out and play, you know, the game of the year if they want to win because, you know, Ponchero, he's, Bonchero, excuse me, he's going to be a problem because, um, you know, he's got that height advantage on, on Leaky Black, who Leaky is one of the better defenders in this country, but he just can't match with him in terms of height. Um, Brady Manick can with the height, but Bonchero is so much more athletic than him. So but, um, can Leaky Black kind of shut him down in that aspect? And then also one thing you said, you know, you think Deuce can go back to that 2-3 zone. I do think Carolina could take advantage of that as, as long as they get the ball to Baycott in the middle and he can facilitate and they're moving around. Um, or if he can, you know, kind of dominate the way he, he did, you get um, Manic hitting some open threes, Caleb Love hitting some outside shots. So, you know, they got the horses to do it. And uh, I think, I think they do do it. I'm with Ethan. Okay. I like, I like Carolina to, uh, to beat to beat Duke and we have a Carolina, Kansas title game. Uh, I just say it because I think coach K knowing that this is his final run and, you know, he gets to play Carolina one more time. I really do finally feel, I think the pressure might get to him and uh, you know, we're not giving Hubert Davis enough credit. No, for how good he's been the second half of the year. I think, you know, before the tournament, Carolina, they were like 11 and three in the last four, you know, 14 games beating Duke at the end of the regular season. And then this run they're going on right now, he's, he's been a calming presence for this team. And I just think Carolina's outside play is going to be a little more impressive. They'll make more shots than Duke. So then Carolina's going to win 79 to 74. Okay, similar to me. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think the biggest matchup in this game is going to be the Caleb Love-Jeremy uh, Roach matchup. I think whichever one of those two plays better is going to be the, be the winner. And yeah, it, it's going to promise to be some exciting games and we'll get to the championship game. It's going to be played Monday. Uh, I have Duke Villanova. I think this is where Villanova's lack of depth really comes back to bite them. Duke just has better players. They're deeper playing for coach K in his final game. And then everybody gets the storybook ending. We're all hoping for, because we just love coach K the guy is just loves, just loves basketball. And he just gets, goes out on a farewell tour that on a white horse. I can smell the sarcasm on your breath through my computer screen. Um, Get out of here again with that coach K nonsense. But uh, I think, I think for the title game, this is a win. um, I think, I think Kansas is going to uh, uh, take it, take advantage of Carolina. This is when, because I worry about for Carolina and Duke, whoever wins that game, being on such an emotional letdown come Monday night because they're just going to be, you know, mentally and physically fatigued from this game. I think Kansas will be able to take advantage of that early. Carolina is not going to be able to make the outside shots in the, in the title game. And they're going to be kind of struggling for some points. And, you know, for the first time in four, I think I want to say 14 years, I think Kansas wins a national title and Bill Self now becomes a two-time winner even though he shouldn't have a job, which is why it, it pains me to say Kansas is going to win this. But uh, I think the Alex's not going to kick you out of your, out of his house. Is he? What? No, he's not. No. Okay. Well, that's no. good. But nope. yeah, well that, yeah, that would be a rematch from the 2008 final four semifinal. Gee, that's been 14. Wow. We're 14 getting old, years. man. Yeah. 
And yeah, so I have Duke, Ethan and Grant both have Kansas. It's sure going to promise to be a great weekend. Excited to watch both. But then also real quick, Dylan, for the record, since you have Duke, me and Ethan have Kansas. It, Villanova or North Carolina will win the title now. Let's just prepare everyone for that. We cannot. We cannot have nice things when we make predictions. So, true. We uh, come Monday. It'll probably be North Carolina or Villanova. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see what happens. So mm-hmm. we will. Uh, we're going to end this show. I told the uh, obviously Ethan can't join us, but I said told them in our uh, group chat yesterday to be ready for some curveballs. So. This is the curveball, Grant. What is your, what is your favorite closet food? When I say closet food, it's it's something that people kind of look at you like, what, like weird, like why would you eat something like this? And I'll let you. I know you're gonna have to sit there and stew and think about this a little bit. So I'll go first. And I actually just found out about what my closet food is 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 hummus. So my uh, when I went down to Arizona in January. Uh, to go golf my state of my grandparents house my grandpa makes incredible hummus and you put a little bit of sauce on it you dip it in chips or some uh, veggies some sweet peppers it is incredible you know it's actually funny you mentioned hummus because oh boy. that is my closet food also oh yes um did we just become best friends i think we just became best friends yeah because air five air five. <laughs> um you know, it was kind of a couple of years ago, my sister, she introduced me to it. She said, Hey, you know, you know, granny, if you're looking for a new snack, you know, if you maybe got some, some celery, some carrots, triscuits, wheat thins, whatever you have, you know, go, go try some hummus. She said, you know, it's going to look, it's going to look like baby formula. It might look like dog, dog vomit. It doesn't look good. But then I went to the store one day and I saw some and I was like, well, I'm going to buy some hummus, but I'm not going to get the plain I, need oh, I, I just go with the plan. I, I tried the garlic. It just, I, I wasn't a fan. So I got, I think I got like the red pepper and garlic Sabra okay. yep. and oh my gosh, it's changed my life. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't get over it. You know, it's, you're sitting back and if you're watching a game or you just need a quick, quick little snack and you look in your fridge and you're like, ah, you know, I got all the, I got a half a bag of carrots, you know, I'm looking at the, they've been open a while. The expiration date's coming up in about a couple of days. How can I get rid of these things without throwing them away? And I don't want to boil them because that's just some work I don't want to do. And I don't think they taste as good. So I was like, let's try to dip some of these carrots in this hummus. And before you know it, that's a staple. So anytime, you know, someone opens up my fridge, you're going to see a jar of hummus and you're going to see a bag of carrots in there. And some people love it. Some people hate it. But in the words of George Clooney, when he was uh, guest starred on Friends, God bless the chickpea for, uh, yep. for making hummus. Exactly. And you know what? If they don't like it. That's their loss. It's just more for us. So exactly. Thank you again for uh, to Grant and Ethan for joining us. And we uh, will be back to recap it next week. Awesome, Dylan. Looking forward to it. And we're back. Thank you to Grant and Ethan for joining me again. Looking forward to having an in-person podcast with them sometime. Stay tuned for next week's episode as we break down the final four games, maybe discuss some baseball as the regular season kicks off next week. Masters also starts next Thursday. Maybe do a little preview of that as well. Make sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram at TheDegress. That's at TheDegress, T-H-E-D, 
G-R-E-S-S. I will also be posting content on my TikTok page under the same handle, at The Degress. You can find The Degress Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. The video version is available on YouTube under my name, Dylan Gress, or if you search The Degress Podcast. The link will also be in the description below. That's all I got for this week. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Gress, out.